don't accept mediocrity. You know, I think the mountain bike community is a pretty advanced user and uh, and growing user. And and so I think people need to continually get involved and kind of, you know, when they come to areas like Bentonville, like go back to your hometown and kind of push what new age mountain bike infrastructure looks like. Welcome to Trail Effect. I'm your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, take a spin through our library and check out some of our previous episodes, which feature some great guests within the community of mountain biking and trails. For episode 64, we once again feature Aaron Rodgers, the owner of Rock Solid Trail Contractors. For this episode, we caught up with what Rock Solid has been up to in terms of trail development and construction over the past couple years. We also discussed what trends Aaron has seen within the trail building industry and what the future may hold. If you'd like to learn more about Aaron, check out episode one of Trail Effect, where Aaron talks about his backstory and how he got into trail building. Since the recording of this episode, the news broke about both Flying Squirrel and Danimal opening up for 2022, along with some other trail system improvements and maintenance in Copper Harbor. I have to thank the Professional Trail Builders Association for the invite to the Sustainable Trails Conference in Bentonville, Arkansas, as this invite is what made these episodes possible. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Celsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. Speaking of support, it has been brought up to me that a Patreon account should be started for the podcast as a way for people to monetarily support the show. For a while, I'd thought about it and wasn't sure how it would be received. Then Jeff from Affordable Trail Solutions, a trail builder out of Arkansas, gave me that shove towards Patreon once and for all. If supporting Trail Effect through Patreon interests you, a link for the Trail Effect Patreon account can be found in the show notes or at www.evotrails.com. I also have to thank Jeff from Affordable Trail Solutions for believing in the podcast and being our first subscriber through Patreon. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to round two with Aaron Rodgers of Rock Solid Trail Contractors. Here we are today at Trail Effect. I have Aaron Rodgers. We're down here in Bentonville, Arkansas for the Professional Trail Builders Association Sustainable Trails Conference. Aaron, if you remember, was the uh, first guest on Trail Effect episode one, and he is the owner of Rock Solid Trail Contractors, and I might forget something here, Trails End Campground, East Bluff Bike Park, and Prius Restoration Companies. <laughs> <laughs> well, these days, gas prices the way they are, you know, that'd be a a good business to be getting into, but uh, we also own uh, um, kind of more of an eco development firm that we've been working on called uh, Conscious Constructs, and uh, that will be helping us uh, develop a campground at East Bluff Bike Park as well and kind of operate that uh, into the future. So as the bike park continues to get bigger, we want to have a little bit of lodging capacity out there, kind of directly associated with the with the bike park operations. So 
Well, that leads right into our first question. What's been going on in Copper Harbor over the last two years with the East, Bluff, East Bluff Bike Park development? Well, you know, quite a bit. I mean, you know, the biggest development was, you know, a big or at least a, a portion of the gravity trail shutting down last year in Copper Harbor. And I think that, uh, you know, that definitely raised some some eyebrows and uh, around, you know, really the entire Midwest mountain biking community, because I think Copper Harbor was like a must stop vacation for a lot of people uh, on an annual basis. So, you know, that kind of turned a lot of people away, unfortunately. But, you know, really what they didn't know about is how much additional development was going on, not only at uh, East Bluff, but kind of even surrounding East Bluff and working out towards Keweenaw Point and advancing the Keweenaw Point Phase 3 trail system. So, you know, we put in another uh, gravity trail called Citrus Tech, and that was like a more advanced downhill built by uh, one of our most notable builders, uh, Niels Hempel. And and that ended up being in uh, the Trails Festival as uh, kind of replacing overflow for the downhill event since that was closed. So, you know, we were able to to keep going with all the events, open up new trails, um, move the Enduro event out to East Bluff. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we developed a parking lot out there and a trailhead facility and and then we kind of started on, um, you know, some of the camping operations. So, you know, there's been an awful lot going on out there. I think people will see that, uh, you know, when they show up out there, there's been a lot of changes over the last year. And we're building some some more cross-country loops kind of surrounding that. So there'll be a, you know, more of a trail cluster kind of outside of the community of Copper Harbor. Because, you know, obviously with Copper Harbor getting so busy and, uh, you know, COVID brought everybody out of the woodwork to be in the outdoors and and it wasn't just mountain bikers but you know mountain bikers in in association with that really you know kind of plugged up a lot of the the infrastructure in 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 copper harbor and i think that was kind of an an annoyance to a lot of locals and and a lot of people who realized it's just like we're not we hadn't planned for for this kind of growth and did not have the infrastructure in place and so really like what's the next step for the community and this is kind of what we had been envisioning for years it's like we need to get people out of copper harbor so that was a big idea behind east bluff east bluff bike park and kind of making that like kind of the next trail epicenter outside of copper harbor yeah and you had actually acquired the land for east bluff a couple years prior to covid you know so that was really it wasn't like you just well covid hit we got to go buy some land and build some trails yeah we bought east bluff even back i think uh, we were in negotiations in 2015 and uh, ended up, I think, making the purchase early 2017. So, yeah, a lot of that had been happening well before that. So it's like, you know, we as riders, you know, who, who, who ride in Copper Harbor every year, we used to have a little trail system all to ourselves, right? And, and uh, as locals, I mean, it's a little bit selfish, but we became increasingly annoyed by the amount of traffic on the trails and realized we need more. And, uh, and so we kind of foreseen uh, a lot of these problems. And uh, we're already taking steps to kind of move, move forward with a solution. Yeah. And that's, if I'm not wrong, that's the highest point up in that neck of the woods aside from top of uh, Brockway Mountain. Yeah, And I mean, when you talk about Brockway Mountain, a lot of our trails where they start at, I think that's about 1,350 elevation, which is exactly what, what East Bluff is. So we have about the same vertical run out as, as all the trails on on Brockway Mountain. But the nice thing about uh, East Bluff is kind of the relaxed grades. So it's like we're not forcing a trail down a side hill with tight berms and 
and steep grades like it's like we can run them out quite a bit longer and so there's a lot of a lot of the downhills are over a mile long and they feel like they they go on forever and and you can still maintain high speeds and just have this kind of fast flowy style of trail that uh is kind of unheard heard of in copper harbor on a lot of the rocky terrain there yeah but even even sticking with like citrus tech like you still found some rock faces to run people down you know or, or Niels did yeah so i when we talk about soil, I mean, that's was relative for Copper Harbor. So there was more soil at East Bluff, but not a lot of soil. And so you don't have to dig far to, to, find, uh, to find bedrock. So, I mean, but that's kind of a, you know, a unique part of our trails, right? As we really incorporate that into the design, we kind of know what the bedrock looks like underneath the, the dirt. So we harvest the dirt, make features with the dirt, dig down to the bedrock, expose the bedrock, and then... You kind of make that into the trail surface, which kind of makes it memorable, right? Oh, for sure. And one of the most unique things for me, at least when I go to Copper Harbor, is that if it rains, you can still ride. In the rock, honestly, doesn't get that slippery. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like sandpaper, right? You know, down here in Bentonville, we have sandstone. And, you know, unless something's in a really moist area where it's been, you know, seeing water very uh, frequently and, and growing algae on it, then it's slippery. But, you know, for the most part, sandstone's really abrasive and really tacky and that's kind of the same thing with the conglomerate bedrock it has a lot of structure to it and so it tends to tends to be very have a lot of traction let's dive out of copper harbor into some of the other stuff because you have a pretty large operation here in bentonville and up in the upper midwest um what's some of the stuff you've done like let's talk about some of the newer stuff that's been opened up on what would be called like the north shore lake superior you know like split rock stuff like that yeah we really completed uh, a majority of the plan on the split rock wilds we're doing a, you know a couple final little pieces this spring before the grand opening i think it's in june you know we built i don't even remember how many miles it is but i think it's you know 17 to 20 miles of trail up there over the last two years and and i think that was a, a very unique trail system in a lot of regards because i think you know a lot of the trails that happened you know in the 2015 and later range was a lot of flow-based trail in the Duluth area, which, you know, they have a lot of clay, so it's easy to build nice berms and smooth, fast trails, kind of the same thing. You know, Cuyunas doesn't have a lot of, a lot of big bedrock. They have a lot of, you know, gravel, uh, which is really nice because it's like sets up like concrete, but it's more fast, flowy riding there too. And so, you know, I think the terrain at, at Split Rock kind of offered a really kind of unique style of riding that a lot of the more advanced riders have been begging for uh, for years. And, uh, and that's what we were able to create. It's just this really, you know, rocky, chunky style trail that isn't as much flowy as it is techy and challenging. And, and, and quite honestly, the level of physical exertion necessary to ride that stuff is, is much higher too. So you know, I think that's, uh, you know, kind of brought us back to the old style of building, which I think we see that happening a lot of places, you know, not only there, but down here in Bentonville, that's kind of been the directive too. It's like, hey, we got enough flowy stuff. Let's build some tech, you know, and that's kind of where, you know, a lot of those uh, advanced riders have been salivating over for years. It's like, we need more of this. Yeah. Speaking of that and speaking of Bentonville, you guys just did Zone 4, which has recently premiered via... Oz Trails and Gary Vernon and Kenny Belay. Yeah, that was an interesting project, right? I mean, they say, hey, build the hardest climbing trail uh, in the world. And it's like, okay, well, we can't take that lightly. So it's called Zone 4 because there's four, four zones that 
you know, kind of get incrementally harder. And so we needed to import a lot of materials to make that possible because they, you know, we didn't have like the best terrain to build a super advanced climbing trail. We had to kind of be very creative and kind of integrate rock and wood and, and whereas in the past, you know, we could, we try to make riding easier for people Well, we really had to make riding harder and really kind of make people kind of stumble. And that's because that was the directive we were given. And it's just like, you know, make this challenging. And so nobody can do it. And well, we, that was proven when Caddy Blay, the world championship trials rider, you know, he didn't ride it. He put his foot down twice, you know, for somebody to ride it, you know, from the, from the bottom to the top without getting off their bike once, I think is virtually impossible. So we'll see how much swag they have to give out as a result of that promise that Gary made, but <laughs> yeah, that didn't Gary uh, promise jerseys for people that, that got that. Yeah. He might be in the clear on that one. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, outside of Bentonville, you guys also created a course that recently got a, a little bit of world-class attention and that was cyclocross, which really wasn't, you know, when you think of rock solid trail contractors, cyclocross probably isn't the first thing that comes to mind. But yet you guys created not only a cyclocross course that was world-class and part of the world championships this year in 2022, you also created a world-class cross-country course in that same area. How'd that all go down and how was it received? Well, you know, it's, it's been received really well. I mean, that idea came back, you know, I think three years ago, we were sitting out in that field kind of envisioning what it could be used for and how it was going to differentiate from a lot of the resources that were being built already. So the conversation started, we started looking at the University of Arkansas and whether they had a collegiate racing team uh, in place or ever had any intention of getting a collegiate racing team. And uh, so we're like, well, we could build a race course. And of course, uh, you know, kind of in the typical Oz fashion, it's like, well, we can't just build a race course. We have to build the best race course. It's like, all right, well, we're up for the challenge. We're willing to do that. So they kind of brought in some consultants from both cyclocross and World Cup cross-country racing, um, which we worked with and to kind of make the design. So um, that was uh, pretty fun to kind of go through that design process, kind of get an understanding of what, you know, the UCI restrictions and guidelines were. Like it had to be certain distances, you had to have a certain amount of passing, you know, it has to be spectator friendly. So we really kind of looked at it from all those different perspectives and, and primarily from you know, the, the spectator perspective. And it's, we wanted to make sure it was in a very engaging event. Because if you're bringing an event like that to the U.S., it's like, you know, we want to make sure it's well-received. And so we feel like it was. I mean, if we went there during the World Cup cyclocross race, it was just absolutely bonkers, you know, full-on event, people everywhere, and just super excited about, you know, kind of what was going on here in Northwest Arkansas, kind of from the conversations I've heard, just like the UCI was super stoked. They'd never seen an event venue like that built with that intention behind it. And so they're, you know, they're really excited about bringing future events back to the area as well. So I think we, I think we did well, you know, but, you know, obviously we learned a lot from that and would be excited to build another one here in the future. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And you guys incorporated tunnels and a bunch of, a lot of rock work. You have this huge rock structure and better yet, they had a test event in the fall, if I remember correctly, and it just poured, which is like what cyclocross is all about. But then when it came to the actual world championships, it was like blue skies and in perfect conditions for people that don't want to get muddy and wet. In January. Yeah. So it made for a really fast course. 
which was was super exciting for spectating because people were like whizzing by and doing little whips over rollers and you know it was it was it was fun it was a fast course super spectator friendly but uh yeah you know when it was back in october it was it was polar opposites you know the ground seems to heal pretty well and i know uh the trailblazers and the city of fayetteville are dedicated to you know upkeep on that facility make sure it just always stays in an existing form you know planting grass reseeding and it's so it's like i think yeah the expectation is is that that no matter what like you're going to have a good course whether it's wet or dry let's talk about the cross-country course that goes around that course correct mm-hmm. you guys have, i think there's a national cross-country event there back in april of 2021 and I, there might be another one coming up this april yeah i believe so cross-country course and uh in the in the cyclocross course, we're both designed to kind of ha- you utilize the, the showcase features that were kind of built in the middle of them. So you have the big starting ramp that was created. So it's like easily viewable, spectator friendly. But then from a bit video perspective, you know, you had to understand like camera angles and how they were really going to, you know, really portray the event to the outside world, you know. So that's why we really tried to make these elaborate walls and stuff and, and just get a lot of definition to the terrain so you know that was kind of the challenge is to look at it and figure out how both those courses were going to integrate use the same features and uh but yet maintain their kind of their own course you know own unique course you know the race course is you know it has a lot of drops has a lot of like kind of showcase features uh for people to kind of utilize and show off their higher level skill set because it's like that's where you know world cup xc racing it's just you watch a lot of the younger riders and, and see how they've advanced racing. It's no longer about just having a motor and being super fast. It's being a very technically advanced rider too. So a lot of the features that you see, like there's alternate ride around features that are still challenging, but they slow you down quite a bit. So if you hit like the drops and the jumps, you know, you're gaining seconds like every time you do that. So that's like, if you have that skill set, that's putting you at an advantage for sure. Yeah. And we've seen World Cup courses, you know, in Europe go that direction as well. And we saw it, you know, those that watch the Olympics as well, there's some pretty famous stuff that happened there. You know, just keeping the push that agenda is, is really good. And especially when you get the, you know, you talked about the video and the made for, almost, almost made for TV with the Red Bull TV coverage that you get, you know, in mountain biking now. And well, have I forgotten anything as far as the update from 2020 to 2022? I know you've had a lot of other projects in there too, but any big notable stuff that we haven't talked about yet? Well, really, I think the the state park projects that we've been working on here in Arkansas, the monument trails are, have been something that have been hugely successful. You know, we finished out Nebo probably about 2020, 2021. Um, we're doing a few more uh, little bits and pieces there now, but, you know, Mount Nebo was voted the best trail system in Arkansas. You know, obviously it has a lot of vertical, a lot of really um, photogenic uh, terrain and, uh, you know, riding under waterfalls and cliff bands. And it's just, I think that's been really well received in the biking community around here to have like a true destination style trail system versus like an urban trail system that you have here. And I think that's, that just kind of adds to all the different assets that they have, uh, for various trail systems around here. So that was really, uh, really popular. And then adding one even closer to Bentonville here, Devil's Den State Park. Um, we just finished that one up last year, uh, and uh, there's definitely a lot of unique bluff lines and giant rock formations that we were able to weave the trails through. Uh, it took a lot of creativity, um, obviously, but uh, and work, 
you know, uh, unique building styles to get through those the areas, but it worked out really well and kind of left behind a truly memorable experience for people. So that was something that we were pretty excited about too. Yeah, and there's some waterfalls there too as well, isn't there? From mm-hmm. underneath? Yeah. yeah, there's some smaller waterfalls there. Well, with all of this, obviously you've learned a lot and you've had the ability to experiment with things and, and really expand the skill set of not only yourself, but your company. What kind of stuff have you, you know, you think you could take into the future? What kind of stuff have you learned down here in Bentonville that maybe will go out into other communities or, or even be replicated here that you're starting to see more of or more desire for? When we think about trails, it's always been this linear focus, right? It's like we need to cover distance. There's been a shift in thinking in the way we, we, way we view trails, right? Um, the style of riding is changing. Like cross-country focus is, it was always that linear focus where it's all about getting, going out, getting your work out. And a lot of the infrastructure surrounding the trails, what we're finding with, you know, the COVID years now is like they're totally underdeveloped. The parking lots aren't big enough. The trail hubs aren't big enough. Like there's just a lot of trail systems. They don't even know what, what a trail hub is. It's like, there's just a trail head, but it's like, if you have 150 people coming to a parking lot, getting ready to embark upon their journey. And they're looking at a trailhead sign. There's just all this congestion. So like, how do we start thinking about the infrastructure surrounding the trail systems now? Because trail systems are becoming incredibly important parts of park systems. So it's like, what do the hubs look like? You know, and I think there's been a, a larger level of development uh, uh, around the hubs here. You know, you've seen it in photos where it's just like, it's this elaborate rock work because it's meant to be this visual piece. And when you do that, when you make it an installation, like an artistic installation, people use it for other things as well. You know, we've seen weddings hosted on top of them and it's just, you know, it becomes, you know, much more usable by a wider range of audience. So it's just, it becomes your park and it makes it more of this social environment where people hang out and talk, right? So when we talk about cross country, shift from cross country to more of this social gravity style of riding where people hang out and chat and talk about their experience, like we have to create and think about those social environments along the way. So it's like we have the linear pieces, the trails, but now we have the park style installations that need to happen as well. So like that's the more elaborate hubs and landscaping plans that need to go along with it. So you know, if there's anything that we take away, it's just, we're talking about that stuff more uh, when, we're, when we're doing project designs and proposals. Because it's like, if you don't have these, you're missing out. You're not planning into the future because mountain biking as a whole is growing in popularity. And, uh, you know, if we're, if we're basing our trail system on existing numbers in our community right now or what they have been over the last couple of years, kind of pre-COVID, like we're, we're definitely underserving our community with, with that investment and we're going to outgrow it, you know, pretty quickly. And I think that's just a, that's kind of a fail from the planning perspective. So what we take away is that we just have to think bigger, you know, and uh, we have to be more inclusive as well. And uh, that means, you know, instead of building like all the trails that have been very appealing to us as advanced riders, like the Black Diamonds, the intermediate trails, the jump trails, you know, we need to be start be thinking about the beginner focused trails, like the strider tracks, you know, kind of what we call the white circle trails, like surface trails that still kind of have features along the side. You know, Imba calls them like gateway trails, kind of those, you know, lower level trails that the kind of the barrier to entry is much lower than it is with single track, typical single track trail systems. So 
like all those things combined just like really change the way that we think about and propose trail systems to communities. I'm going to go off on two different tangents here. We'll go off in the community one first, and then we'll circle back to gravity. But, you know, like in La Crosse, for example, and you have this in Bentonville too, we, we hired Rock Solid to build some trails that have neighborhood connections, you know, and, and in that, and those situations, we purposely didn't put any parking there because it's for the neighborhoods. Have you seen with other proposals and you don't have to get specific with any, any certain communities or anything, but do you see more of a push towards getting that inner, inner neighborhood connection for the people and the residents of the community itself, you know, with proposals that maybe come across your desk or stuff that gets, you know, put out there to get the community wide feel similar to Bentonville. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think we see, a lot of proposals coming through that are meant to kind of serve the local community where they're not, you know, they don't need that infrastructure per se, like the hubs and the parking lots and everything. A lot of times those are smaller trail systems, like five miles in length that are smaller and typically like just standard single track. You know, those trail systems are, are different than what you would consider like destination trail systems and destination trail systems. They need, you know, more of those facilities, more of that infrastructure to be able to support it. And I think that's kind of something that we've seen down here is that wasn't always the intention, right? It wasn't always the intention to just draw mass amounts of people from outside of Bentville is to create this local resource that's meant to serve the local community and increase the amount of, you know, professional recruitment coming to the area to take all these jobs that exist. But kind of the byproduct of it is creating this really memorable, elaborate trail system that yeah, when the seasons are, are not ideal up north uh, or anywhere else for, for riding bikes, it's just like, let's go to Bentonville. And it's just, you can see it, you know, even on a weekly basis, especially as we kind of transition into March and we're seeing 70 degrees days down here, like parking lots are absolutely packed. There's not a local on the trail at 11 o'clock in the, during the day when I drive through. It's all groups of people from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa. And even other areas that have less trail systems like Texas and Oklahoma, it's just people from all over the place. And so that was kind of the, the result of, of, you know, just building this elaborate trail system. But what we take away from that is like, we have pretty specific questions when we ask people you know, that, you know, do you want to be a destination style trail system? Because the, uh, the implications for that are these extra infrastructure needs. And do you have the budget to support that? Or do you just have an underserved community and you don't have memorable terrain and you don't have the budget to, to be able to support that? So we see a lot of that coming across our desk because people are coming to Bentonville and be like, dang, I want more trails in my backyard. And I think that's, you know, when we talk about how things have happened up north, you know, Copper Harbor originally kind of spurred a lot of that conversation in places like Duluth and La Crosse. And it's just like, everybody's like, these destination trail systems are so cool. And they just raise the stoke so high that all these people get energized and they go back to their local communities and they start pushing all these, these plans forward. And I think that's where we're at now is we're seeing massive amounts of plans like going out there and people are incredibly ambitious about building trail systems in their local community. Yeah, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, you'd know nothing about that, Josh. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like to, to build on what Aaron just said, the, when I met Aaron, it was 2011. I was told I had to go up to Copper Harbor to check out the, check out the Copper Harbor Trails Fest. The Flow Trail was just built by Aaron, the Flow Trail. Well, you know, it's like that was when Flow Trail, and at least in the upper Midwest, was definitely a new thing. 
And we took that journey from the top of the flow trail back down to the bottom. And I was like, my mind was blown. Like it was like, holy, like, and how much elevation do we have here? And it's really not much more than say what we have in the cross, you know, by, by a large margin. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, and that just opened my mind about what could be done. And then a couple of years later, I come down here, ride the back 40 and I see literally trails going through people's backyards, not to the effect of where is an intrusive on their privacy, but use, utilizing land that really was not usable for any other purpose. It was too steep to develop and you interconnected those neighborhoods in a true back 40 fashion. And, and again, went back home, <laughs> you know, and granted it's not on that scale, but yeah, so it's, it's a pretty incredible thing. Let's, uh, let's circle back to the social aspect and gravity stuff. Cause now you're starting to see and and you are, you were ahead of it with East bluff and purchasing that land and having a vision for East bluff, but you're starting to see other trail systems like East bluff starting to pop up. Like I was, I just spent a couple days in, in North Carolina earlier this month at ride Canuga, which is a 550 foot vertical bike park built by Nico Mullally that has no lift access and it has no shuttle service, you know? So it's built around e-bikes in mind and it's built or it's built around somebody that just, they know they're going to pedal their 51 tooth or 52 tooth cog in a very slow fashion back to the top, but their experience is really for the gravity side of things. And it's kind of, and it's pretty self-contained too. Like, like, how do you see that going now? Not having access to lifts, but these bike parks like really starting to take off because of other things. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of advancements in technology, right? And I think that's where, you know, we've been looking at that, that model as well. And we're like, hey, do we ever want to have shuttle access? Maybe temporarily while more people purchase e-bikes or, you know, you can even buy an e-bike, right? Because you can't even get one now, it seems. That's idea is just, you know, really what we're trying to do is kind of create more environmentally, environmentally friendly trail access. And I think that's where e-bikes come into play it's just like do you need to run a a lift or do you need to run a shuttle all the time like no like we could probably kind of create you know our idea is we can create solar charging banks and uh for people to kind of plug in their e-bikes and stuff like that so there's you know a lot of ideas kind of progressing as technology comes along and i think systems like that are going to be super successful because cost of operation is low and you know you talk about trail maintenance like that's obviously something you have to upkeep on they're probably going to be pay for play systems uh, um, so there's going to be a revenue source for maintenance but you, other than that your operation costs are going to be damn near non-existent so and and one other thing is it just kind of preserves the integrity of the sport as a whole right i mean we all want to just kind of get out in the woods and have our have our experience with nature right and so the less infrastructure that you have to put in place to make that happen the more we can kind of preserve that and so you know ultimately i think it's just i think it's kind of the way of the future for bike parks yeah and and building on what you said earlier like if you got solar charging banks and you have a good social area around that you know you take a break hang out with your buddies bikes charge up you know have lunch whatever go back up and do it again so and the and the pay-to-play thing like i i'm a I'm a pretty outspoken proponent of that model, you know, because I do, because trail maintenance doesn't come free and it's, 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 and it's a real, it's a reality that we have to have. And that was the one thing that like, when I did the interview with Nico Mullally for, for Ride Canuga was, and he didn't even really see this one coming, but they can now employ five people that do trail maintenance all day, every day, five days a week. And like I said, they don't have lift, lift service. And right now they're, you know, the rates are $29 a day. 
or $50 a month, or I think they have a season pass option as well, but I'll gladly pay for that experience, even if I'm still pedaling up. And I think more people are getting used to that model as well, because they know the level of effort that it takes. Yeah. You know, as trails expand, we can't rely on volunteers entirely for maintenance. It's just, that's, you know, a resource that's not always going to be there because really most of those people would rather be out riding their bikes and rather pay as well. And I think that's, that's a model that, you know, we're talking about uh, with a a lot of different entities at a lot of different levels right now. And uh, I know I just had uh, a lot of conversations with like Jerome Poland uh, from Sentiers Boreal out of uh, Quebec. And that's, you know, in Canada, all the trail systems up there are pay to play. And that's exactly what they do. They, you know, they charge people for trail use and they, they pay for maintenance. And that kind of makes a sustainable model and it gives jobs for people. And so it kind of builds local communities as well. Well, Aaron, we're getting to the point where we have another class coming in here for the Sustainable Trails Conference. Is there anything you want to wrap up with or any like kind of advice or words of wisdom that you may have learned in the last two years since we previously recorded that you could leave people with? And Well, I always like to, to dream break. So that's like, that's my advice is just what, a, what do trail systems for the future look like? And I think that's where we've been fortunate as we've been tasked with that, uh, you know, specifically down here in Bentonville, but in other places as well. And uh, I think that's really starting to, to snowball and kind of impact uh, a lot of these communities. And so, you know, really, it's like, don't accept mediocrity. You know, I think the mountain bike community is a pretty advanced user and, uh, and growing user. And, and so I think people need to continually get involved and kind of, you know, when they come to areas like Bentonville, like, go back to your hometown and kind of push what new age mountain bike infrastructure looks like or trails infrastructure uh, as a whole because the what we learned from covid is people need to be outdoors health and wellness needs to be more of an initiative in america because what did covid do it impacted people like uh, a bigger percentage of the community who was less healthy right and so what can we do to protect ourselves from instances like that in the future but well, we can all take it upon ourselves to, to be more healthy and to give back to our communities so that people are taking steps forward in that regard. Well, thank you very much. That summed that up really well. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your busy day. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on here and your day is busy regardless because you run a company, actually a bunch of companies. Well, as you know, Josh, like we've been talking about trails, like you said, since 2011 nonstop. So I'm always happy to sit down with you. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Aaron. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Fact Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your audio content. This will ensure that you get the latest Trail Fact episodes and it will help the show as well. Please take the time to leave a rating and review wherever you consume your podcasts. This podcast has been made possible by Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>